Well, Thanksgiving already just right on our doorstep. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how anyone could not enjoy Thanksgiving. Most all of us can look back through the years gone by and uh, think about our family, our friends, the good food, the fellowship, everything that goes along with it. And since we're approaching Thanksgiving, I, uh, I suspect that, uh, that you expect me to preach uh, about Thanksgiving, and you're right. But when it comes to... Uh, everyday life with all of its troubles and all of its trials, I think we have to admit that sometimes we have a really tough time in being thankful as we ought to be. We might be thankful for certain things in our life, but looking at our life as a whole, it's not one that could be considered an attitude of gratitude. And... um, The Bible tells us to be thankful always for all things. Something even worse than that is whenever those that have been greatly blessed, they're in good health, they're living a life basically of ease, at least compared to the rest of the world. I mean, here in America, we have so much to be thankful for, so many things that we enjoy. And there are people that uh, they don't have an ache in their body, no diseases, they've got money in their bank account, everything's good. And uh, still they lack an attitude of gratitude. That, to me, is, I think, about as horrible as it could get. You know, you can understand those that are going through great distress in their life momentarily, losing their spiritual equilibrium to where they just don't feel thankful. I just don't feel like it. And uh, you can understand that we all act out of character to some extent at some time or another. But there are folks in this world that enjoy all of the blessings and everything's going good and still they're not thankful. It's exactly what Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, speaking about the last days that people would be unthankful. And that's hard to imagine, but that's exactly what we're seeing today. I could spend hours speaking about the matter of thanksgiving in general, but I want to focus today on what I believe is the very heart of the matter. Because if if we can grasp this truth that I'm going to speak about this morning, we will not have a problem in being thankful in all of those other areas of our life. And if we fail here, if we do not grasp the truth of what I'm going to be speaking about, we'll be complaining about every ache and pain, complaining about everybody else, complaining about everything under the sun. We'll never be happy because the world will never be the way that we want it to be. It all depends on our outlook. So I hope you'll listen carefully. I just can't imagine why we have such a hard time being thankful. Can you? I wonder if it had anything to do with us being spoiled. Reckon that'd have something to do with it. 
those of you that are getting up in years, you remember back uh, how you were raised, or maybe how your mom and dad, they were raised back you know, during the Depression and how difficult it was. Or you can look around in the world today and you can think about people in other countries. We can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to live in those horrible conditions that some people have to live with. The sad thing about it is sometimes those people are happier than we are here in America when we have the, the world in our lap, so to speak. Turning your Bibles to the book of Colossians. I love all of the epistles of Paul. There is absolutely so much. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Before I read the text verses, I want you to notice verse 2 where Paul says, To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now look at verse 9. In between there, he speaks, about, he speaks about the good qualities in that church, their faith and their love and their hope. And he commends them for that. But verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to the glorious, His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, and whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We're going to stop reading there, but I don't want you to close your Bible because we're going to look back at some of these phrases that are so very important. This is Paul's prayer for the saints at Colossae. And whenever you look at the prayer and begin to analyze it, then he himself said, I pray without ceasing. So it's ceaseless. It's not just something he said one time. This is something that he was doing continually. And, and the whole thing together is concise, and yet it's complete in, in that it covers absolutely everything. If anybody knew how to pray for a church, it would have been Paul. And in these few verses, I believe that he covers the scope, the entire scope of the church's need. And I want you to look at the list. Look at verse 9 again. The first thing he says he prays for them, that they might be filled with the knowledge of His will. In other words, he knew that they needed insight as to God's purpose and plan. And we might as well 
face up to the fact that even though we're saved and on our way to heaven, we're not going to get to first base in our Christian growth nor in our Christian service unless we are filled with the knowledge of His will. We have to have an understanding of God's purpose and God's plan. And sadly, a lot of folks don't have a clue. And then he said, verse 10, and walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, simply knowing God's will isn't enough. We have to, we have to do it. Doctrine and duty go together. You see that especially in the book of Romans where it's divided up into doctrine and then beginning in chapter 12 goes speaking about our, our duty. The same thing in the book of Ephesians. Doctrine and duty go together. And James tells us it must be that way. That what we believe affects how we behave. And so he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's well and good to get there. But notice that you might also walk worthy of the Lord. And next verse 10, he says, being fruitful. And not only should we strive to be faithful, we all have a desire to be fruitful. It ought to matter to us, as Brother John was praying a moment ago, that it's our hope and our prayer that no unsaved person would leave this service today in that condition. We ought to be concerned about being a church that not only where everybody is faithful in their attendance and faithful in their giving, you know, we can do those things and we ought to do those things, but we can be dead as a hammer when it comes to fruitfulness in regards to the graces, that is the fruit of the Spirit, and in regards to the, the converts, those that we win to the Lord, our evangelistic efforts. It ought to matter. And he says, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord being fruitful rather than unfruitful. The thing that makes that so very important is in John chapter number 1, it tells us very clearly that it's through our bearing fruit that God is glorified. That's why it ought to matter to us. It's not so we can brag about how many converts we had or how many we baptized or how much money we have. That's not the purpose of it. It's all about glorifying God. Now notice number four on his list. It's in verse 10. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now notice he spoke about knowing God's will, but here he's talking about knowing God more intimately. That increasing in the knowledge of God. You can know God's will. You can get up and quote all of the verses. You can quote the Great Commission. We ought to be doing this. That's the will of God for the church. And we can do all of that and yet not have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And he says, we ought to be increasing in the knowledge of God. And let me tell you, in that school, you never graduate until you get to glory. Because there's always something more that we can learn about God just knowing that God created the world and He sent His Son into the world who died for our sins, rose from the grave, and He's coming back again. There's so Listen, that's the key elements, but there is so much about God that we, need to, that we need to learn, that we need to understand, and the reason is because our survival depends upon it. Notice he says in verse 11 now, number five on his list, strengthened with... All might. It's as though Paul is saying that knowledge and sincerity isn't enough. 
because we can't live the Christian life by willpower. It's impossible. None of us are strong enough, smart enough to live the way that we ought to. The only way we can be successful is being dependent upon the Lord. And here he says that he's praying for them that they would be strengthened, notice, with all might. And that power can come only from God. Now look at number six on his list, and this is the text for the message. Verse 12, giving thanks unto God the Father. That's the last item on the list. And that's our text this morning. Giving thanks unto God the Father. You know, during difficult days, regardless of what generation it is, it can be really easy for us to forget about uh, the fact that we ought to be thankful. And these verses that I just read, not just that verse, but I want you to see the connection, and I'm, we're, we're going to spend some time looking at this, that we see the connection between all that Paul has just said and why he says that we ought to be that we ought to be thankful. I want you to remember this next phrase, and it's something that I, I've said probably a thousand times over the years. If I live long enough, I'll keep saying it. You know, as Christians, we have to think about who we are and what we have in Christ if we're going to be successful. Who we are and what we have in Christ. And when I talk about what we have, I'm talking about all of what we have, not just what's coming whenever we get to heaven, but all that we have in Christ. And I believe with all of my heart, if we can get a handle on that, if we can really come to an understanding of who we are and what we have, and that with Christ, in Christ, that all things are possible, we'll never have a problem being thankful during our difficult times in life. Now notice, and there's three things I want you to notice. First of all, look at verse number 14. He tells us that we have salvation in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In other words, as we often sing, we've been redeemed. Now this is the reverse order of, the, of, of, of our text back in verse 12. But you have to see exactly what he's saying and, and what this is all about. He leads up to verse number 12 and he goes on and makes these comments reminding us that this is why we ought to be thankful. We have salvation, redemption. That means to let one go free on the payment of a price. We talk about being redeemed and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God we're redeemed. Notice, here's, here's the price, here's the cost through His blood, and notice He says, the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness means to be sent away. It means to be put apart, released from bondage, the bondage of imprisonment, or it can be the remission, uh, remitting of a debt, for example. We sing that song, the record's clear today, for He washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. An old Puritan writer said one time concerning this word, he said, sins are remitted as though they had never been committed. 
And that's right, that when God, when God forgives us, it's as though the sin had never happened. Many years ago, the missionaries up in North Alaska, they were trying to come up with, they were translating the Bible into the Eskimo language, and they're trying to find the proper word for forgiveness. And so as they intermingle with the people and they listened to them in conversation and joined in conversation with them, they finally came up with the word that literally, literally would say in the Eskimo language, not being able to think about it anymore. Not being able to think about it anymore. Do you realize, Brother John does, I know, Jeremiah chapter 31, isn't that exactly what God said? I'll remember your sins no more. All of those sins, God remembers them no more. I, I, I get a bit irritated. Some of these pastors talk about we need to learn to forgive ourselves. Baloney, you're not God. You're not the one that does the forgiving. It's God. And when God has forgiven you of your sin, you can count it done. It's over. You don't need to worry about that anymore. Thank God for that. Thank God for the hope that He gives. An English theologian was talking, talking about and teaching about the Muslim religion and he interviewed a lot of people and, and uh, talked about the fact, you know, all of the rituals that they go through, you know, going to Mecca and, and fast five times during the day and all of these other things, and he presented them the question as to whether or not they knew they were forgiven. And this is the quote and the response that he got from them. We don't. We just hope for the best. Wouldn't that be a horrible way to live your life not knowing? We're just hoping for the best. Thank God we Christians have, we have a no-so salvation Notice, not only that, we've not only been redeemed, but we've been released. There's salvation, and then there is sanctification. That word means to be set apart. Look at verse number 13. We're headed back toward our text, remember. Verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us, speaking about Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. In salvation, our standing is changed, but in sanctification, our status is changed before God. He not only redeems us, He rescues us, because before we were captives of the devil. And we oftentimes wonder, why, why does so-and-so, why do they do what they do? It's like I said last week, before I received the Lord as my Savior, because that's what I wanted to do. The only thing that kept me from doing worse things was my fear of the law that I might get caught and thrown in prison or something. Why do people do what they want to do? Because that's what they want to do. And the problem with that is, is their inclinations are all sinful. We're born with a sin nature. That's our desire. We live in captivity to our own sinful nature, taken captive by the devil at His will. But thank God when we're saved, He delivers us. That's what He says here, that He delivered us. 
Aren't you glad that you no longer have to live in the bondage of, of your past sins? Aren't you glad that Satan is no longer has control of your life except to the extent that you allow it to happen? So he says we are delivered, but notice from the power of darkness. That's the domain of darkness. And, and we are delivered from that domain. Some time ago when I was speaking about, about the world and that we're not to love the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We speak about the world as the evil system that it is. It's, it's a system that is controlled naturally by Satan, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And notice we've been delivered from the power of darkness. And he doesn't stop there. Notice the next word, translated. Translated, that means to remove from one place to another. Where are we going? Into, notice, the kingdom of his dear son. I don't have to live in submission to Satan any longer. If you're saved, you don't have to live in submission to the devil any longer. I realize that none of us are perfect yet. We're imperfect is simply because of the fact that we at certain times in our life choose to do otherwise than what God would choose for us. We have a choice. Read Romans chapter number 6 and it tells us very clearly, you know, Galatians tells us that we're to put off the old, we're to put on the new, that we're to walk in the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. And all of those verses imply that it's a part of our willingness to obey God. God's not going to force you to get up and come to church on Sunday morning. He could, but He's not going to force you to do that. God's not going to force you to talk to your loved ones about Christ. He's not going to force you to give. All of those things are things that we ought to do, but He doesn't force us to do that. And by the way, if you want to when you leave here you can go down to the nearest bar and get drunk as a hoot owl if you want to chances are God might not stop you he could and by the way he might because for every child of God there's chastisement for every rebellion against God that's what we forget so many times oh well I'm you know I'm a child of God I'm going to heaven all my sins are forgiven it's not going to really matter if I slip up here and slip up there it's not going to matter you know if I act like the world does yeah it matters to God because if you're one of God's kids you're going to get a spanking it's our choice but thank God we have a choice in the matter until I was saved, I couldn't just make a choice and decide one day, well, you know, uh, I've heard a lot about these Christians talk about going to heaven. I, I, think, I, think, I'll just, uh, I think I'll just be a Christian and go to heaven with them. You know, they meet down there on 1960. I'll, I'll go down there and you don't become a Christian just by meeting with us. You don't become a Christian by just one day saying, well, I think I'll become a Christian. Like you're choosing one religion from all of the others. 
It's not that way at all. You must be born again. There must be a spiritual birth take place within you where the Spirit of God imparts life into your dead spirit being. That's the only hope. And the moment that we're saved, not only are we saved, but we're set apart as it were in that God enables us to be delivered from the bondage of this world. Now look at verse 12, our text. We're not only saved, not only sanctified, but we're satisfied. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We have a, in other words, looking back, we have a new standing, we have a new status. Now we have a new station in life. We're made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Can you imagine being the heirs of, of God? Who are the heirs of God? Well, the heirs of God, according to what it says in Galatians, are those that are justified. Those that have received Christ are justified by the Lord. And the very moment that we're justified through the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we become an heir of God. Can you imagine how excited uh, some folks uh, probably are that uh, might be the relatives of Bill Gates who's I shouldn't have mentioned that name because it gets me irritated right off the bat. Buying up all of the farmland in America, we have no idea what all's going on in our nation. But can you imagine being the heir to someone like that? Being their, their child and knowing that, whoa, when daddy kicks the bucket, all that's, all that's, that's, that's coming my way. I'm going to get all of that. Let me tell you, yeah, you'll get it. And you know what else? You'll leave it. You'll leave every bit of it just like he did. But when you become an heir of God, that's something entirely different. Because we are going to our inheritance. We are heirs going to our inheritance. We say, well, what is that? Well, you know, we can talk about our inheritance being that, that new Jerusalem, the heavenly city in the street of gold, the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper. We talk about the mansion and all of that. Let me tell you what our inheritance really, really is all about. It's eternal, joyful existence with God. That's our inheritance. Eternal, joyful existence with God. You see, hell's not all about the smoke and the flames and fire and all. No, the worst thing about hell is the fact that you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. The most wonderful thing about heaven is being there in the presence of God as a child of God, seeing Jesus, being with Jesus, being like Jesus. The Bible tells us, notice the word light here, inheritance of the saints in light. The Bible says God is light. And the Bible also says we are the children of light. 
If you study the word glory, the word glory basically has to do with a brilliance, with a light, a manifestation. There in the Old Testament tabernacle, there the Shekinah glory, there was a glow, there was that cloud that followed them. That was a representation of the presence of God. And one, one of these days we talk about going to glory. Going to glory. Notice, we're the children of light. We have an inheritance with God who is the light. And our text says, in light of that, in light of all of these things that I've just talked about, those three things, those three facts in life, our response should be what? Giving thanks. Turn over to just a page or two to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always. I almost, I have in the past, I almost preached from this verse here this morning. I want you to notice exactly what it says, giving thanks always, not just one time. You know, Thanksgiving is not something that we ought to just do one time a year. It ought to be a way of life. It ought to be continual. Giving thanks always, but notice, for all things. For all things, really? Well, that's what it says. For all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know, whenever you, you say that, suppose you're out here and you're talking to someone, it may be a relative or a friend, and they've been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe the doctor says, look, you don't have many more months to live. They profess to be a Christian, and you're in conversation with them. And, and maybe you might say, let me share with you this verse that, that I found in the Bible. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. In the first place, they'd think, you know, who are you? You are really rude. Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you realize how difficult, how unfair life is for me? Do you really? They were going to think you're rude or insane or something. Because it, to our mind, that just doesn't even really make sense of the natural mind. You thinks not only always, but for all things. I, I've listened to preachers try to unexplain that or explain it, you know, to change the meaning of it, that it really doesn't mean that. But that's what it says, right? So it must be true. And he's telling us, in other words, regardless of what's going on in our life, even those things that we don't understand, even those things that we know, Romans 8, 28 says it's going to work together for good, and we're hoping that happens during our lifetime, but eventually we have to conclude, well, I guess it's not going to happen in my life. And so we look ahead, 
you know, there in glory. It's going to be something that worked together for good. Let me ask you, isn't that then something that we ought to be thankful for? That God's going to take the worst thing that ever happened to you as, as a child of God, and even if you never see any good from it now, in glory, it's going to be for your good. That's why regardless of what's going on in our life, we can give thanks to God at all times, regardless of the situation. God not only demands that we be thankful, He deserves thanksgiving. He deserves it. <laughs> Who else could give us? Think about all, the, think about all we've got. I, my, everything I've got is something somebody gave me. It all came from the hand of God, but a lot of it, you know, comes through somebody else's hands. Thankful. Always for all things. That tells me, and here where Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, he's reminding them, remember those five things, that, six things actually, but five before he talks about Thanksgiving, that he desired for that church. Basically, he is letting them know that all of these things that he desires for them is tied together with them being thankful to God, with having an attitude of gratitude. And when we really begin to understand those three facets in our life, that you know, the fact that God saved us, I mean, just knowing that we're saved and that God has delivered us from the bondage of this whole world. Regardless of what else happens, we ought to be thankful. In other words, thanksgiving ought to translate into thanksgiving. It ought to become a lifestyle. And real genuine gratitude is, is that which is going to give God that which He, he demands from us. It gives, it goes wherever God wants us to to go. It glorifies God. And the person without an attitude of gratitude is someone who's not grateful for God's grace. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's talking about Israel. Talking about all of the blessings that God had bestowed upon them over and over and over again. God had done these good things for them, blessed them in so many ways. And yet, as you know the story well, over and over again, no sooner did God bless them and they turned right around, spoiled evidently by their own prosperity, they forgot God. And he said in verse 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. Now, would that, not, would that not qualify as someone being thankful, right? Serving the Lord with joyfulness, with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Because they don't, notice he says, Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee to hunger and to thirst and in nakedness 
and in want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. I'm telling you, the consequences of being unthankful are severe. And the most miserable people in this world are those people that are ungrateful for the blessings of God. An attitude of gratitude affects us in every single area of our life. It'll put happiness in our heart. It puts delight in our duty. We no longer, you know, complain, well, I've got to to get up and go to church. No, it'll be something of delight for you to do that. It'll put courage in your circumstances and peace in your pathway. It'll put wonder in your worship. It won't be the old dry, dull routine, you know. No, no, there'll be things going on in your heart. It'll be a sense of wonder whenever you're thankful to God. It'll put power in your prayers when you really appreciate the things that that God does for you. I really believe, as I said at the beginning, if we, if we can get a hold of these truths that Paul is, is praying for in regards to the saints at Colossae, if we can get a hold of what God has done for us, the three things I just mentioned, when troubles and trials come our way, I think it'll help us to, to be able to endure our difficulties and to say, thank you, Lord, I, I, even though I don't understand it, Lord, I love you, and I know you're going to use it for good, and I thank you, Lord. Now, I suspect just about every person here would say, Brother Stone, uh, you're exactly right in what you're saying. And probably every one of us would say, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's really difficult. So how can, I, how can I develop an attitude of gratitude? Well, number one, you have to accept Christ as your Savior. I don't care how hard you try, you'll never be a truly grateful person until you know Christ is your Savior. And then after you're saved, you have to acknowledge God's grace. As a Christian, you have to continually acknowledge that everything you have is the result of the grace of God. You don't deserve any of it. You didn't earn any of it. It's all because of God's grace. And then if you're going to develop that attitude of gratitude, you have to abide in the Word of God. That's an absolute essential in our Christian life. The time that we spend in prayerful contemplation of God's Word, and you mark it down, you don't do that, it's going to affect your attitude in regards to the blessings of God, in regards to other people and everything else. It affects everything you do. And I'm just, as a pastor, it scares me to death to think about the number of people that don't really spend 10 minutes a day in serious consideration of, of what the Bible says. And then they, and then they wonder, well, why is it I'm not stronger than I, than I am? Why, why can't I get through this? Why can't I do that? Why, you know, why can't I endure this trial? It's all tied together with the amount of time you spend abiding in God's Word. Aiming for God's glory. There's one other thing that'll help. 
And that's aiding others in their time of need. You know, I've discovered uh, over the years that the most generous people are, are people that are the most grateful people. Rich people sometimes get, get a bad rap. They really do. Boy, when someone, someone that God has blessed them, by the way, I don't see any people, anyone here this morning that's not rich. We, we all got more than we deserve. And, and as God's people, if we want to increase our thankfulness to the Lord, one of the best ways to do it is run to the rescue of somebody else that needs your aid to help them in their time of need. It'll not only help them, It'll do wonders for you. Amen. Thank God we have a reason to rejoice. We have no reason to be unthankful when we consider all that God has done. Now maybe you're here this morning and you're in the same boat I was when I was 24 years old. You're sitting in church Maybe you're not a regular church goer. Maybe you've never spent time reading the Bible. You don't know exactly what it, what it says. And you're a bit confused about things. Wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if you could just get all of that, all of the guilt of your sin unloaded, done with, and know of a certainty. Not like these other religious people that say, well, uh, no, I don't know I'm forgiven, but I, 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 hope, I hope it I will be. I hope it happens. No, you can have a no-so salvation and go to heaven. And if you're, you're here today and you're a child of God, you have been for many years, but I don't know, you didn't aim for it to happen, but it's kind of reached the place in your life to where you just don't have that joyful attitude of gratitude that God's looking for that would please God. And listen, it wouldn't just please God. It'd sure help you. And it'd sure help other people also. If we could just maintain that joyful attitude of gratitude. It can transform a church. It can, it can do wonders. Whenever we walk out into the world, whether it's at school or whether it's back to work, we go out among those that are undergoing all kinds of difficulties. It really is an aid to our testimony when they look at our life and say, I wish I had what he has. I wish I had what she's got. I, I don't know how they do it. Tell them how you do it. Show them and tell them. That what God's done for you, He can do for others. And He will. Right here, right now, this morning. While we stand together, Brother David's going to come. Brother, pray for Brother Kenneth. He's not feeling well. Brother Rick Morris, would you come up here? And I don't know how Brother John feels. Or Brother Barry, uh, you're here today. I'll guarantee you any, any one of these men would be delighted to... To, to help you this morning. Maybe you just want to come. You don't want to talk to anybody. You'd just like to come and pray. You don't want anybody to bother you. That's great. Just 
Come on. Father, use your word this morning because, Lord, regardless of whatever I might say about it or how many hours I might preach about it, I could never, ever say enough to make it accomplished, Lord, what needs to be accomplished. And I pray you will bless the very words that have been read this morning directly directly from Paul's letter and use those words to challenge us and to change us. And that as we leave here, it'll be not just with a determination to be more thankful, but we'll leave here today more thankful, more thankful than when we walk through the door. Save that soul that's nearest to hell today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. While we stand as we sing together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child.